So, Will. Yes? One of the characters in this movie is credited officially as the woman in the radiator, and she is a woman who, I guess, lives in his radiator and sings him a song. And this got me thinking. Yeah. If there was a person inside one appliance for you to fall in love with, who would you pick? Also, they may or may not represent death. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, what you just said to me is a little bit different than the question you told me before we started. Because before we started, you said, what appliance would I want to fall in love with? And now you're asking, which appliance would I want my tiny lover to live in? And I I'll mean, answer both, because I think, I think these are different questions. They are, but I do think that she represents the radiator in some way with her high whistly voice. Yes, you're probably right. But see, I was thinking like just generally which appliance I would want to fall in love with. It's probably like a toaster oven, right? Because they're versatile. They are incredibly useful. And like that's the kind of person that I would want to have around, right? Somebody who can do a lot of things. They're flexible. But I think like for a tiny person, I might want just like a regular toaster. Because... You know, that's somebody who, like, just makes things, like, just a little bit better, can, like, warm things up a little bit, but Some it's not in their step. Yeah. They spring up. There's something gentle about a toaster. Yeah, I could see that. I think I would want to fall in love, unsurprisingly, with my coffee maker. Someone... <laughs> of course. ...who I can depend on from the moment I wake up until after... A wonderful dinner to top it off with a nice decaf coffee. They smell great. They're reliable, fairly cheap, and you don't need to replace them that often. That's a good factor. I just think the noise of a coffee maker can be very soothing, too. I think the singing voice of the woman in the coffee maker would be a very nice singing voice. It's sort of like a the, the trickle. The trickle, the pops... There's some variation, some variety, some pizzazz. I think that's a good answer. That works. Now, would you also want to be in love with a, a tiny person who lived in your coffee maker? I think so. I mean, it's the appliance I turn to right when I wake up every morning. I say, good morning, world. I look at my phone because I'm young and have a problem. And then I get uh, up don't we and all? I go turn on my coffee maker. And that's step one in my day. And it's always there for me. Even the little person who lived in the coffee maker is the one for me. That's very sweet. I'm, I'm happy to hear that. Good for you to have found that as you didn't realize I'd have an answer <laughs> so locked and loaded. <laughs> hey, I mean, Nick's the person I turn to first when I wake up in the morning. As long as he doesn't have COVID and we can sleep in the same bed. Does he make you coffee? Depends on the morning. But for the most part, right now, we mostly use our Nespresso which is single serve, and you don't want it to go cold, so it's better to make your own, so okay. you can drink it right away. But there is something lovely about waking up with a cup of coffee made by your loving partner. Um, I do think it's notable that we did pick appliances where the focus is some degree of warmth. Like, mm -hmm. you know, we didn't choose, like, a food processor or something. And similarly, in this movie, Henry chooses the radiator. I mean, looking at my counter... All of my appliances are just various ways to make various things hot. And I guess that the is... The food processor and the blender are the exceptions in my place. Yeah. I have a stick blender and a food processor and an ice maker. Wow. Well, you think about it that way, you're just like, why do I have so many different appliances for doing the same thing? 
but they all do it very differently. <laughs> That's the thing. I wouldn't use my panini press the same way I use my toaster. No, I wouldn't use my kettle the same way I use my oven. It would be interesting if you would try. <laughs> yeah. What is life but taking one thing and making it hotter? Combating the laws of thermodynamics in a brief attempt to impose order on a universe that tends to chaos. I mean, I think that's as good a transition to this movie as we're ever going to get. I mean, yeah, wow, you're not wrong. Welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. This is an investigative podcast dedicated to examining the least important issue facing the world today. What the heck is this movie about? (laughs) I... I, wow. I liked it. I want to be clear. I liked it. we're also talking about whether Hollywood romance actually makes any sense. And are these people actually dateable or even likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation, or if it's everything and nothing at the same time, we will dig in and see what's there. And this week, thanks to a request from our listener and erstwhile foe, Jed, we are talking about David Lynch's 1977 debut, eraser head wait why is jed our foe jed is the loyal listener who emailed us claiming that the existence of the 2022 film puss in boots the last wish or whatever it's called is evidence that a previous puss in boots movie was made by dreamworks animation i mean we all know this is a direct sequel to the movie in which christopher walken plays a shape-shifting cat that wears boots Who brings in country dances that are the greatest thing abroad. Exactly. And by Christopher Walken, of course, I mean the Padisha Emperor Christopher Walken. Right. So, Jed, you know, we're happy to have you listening. We're happy to have you suggesting movies. I'm very happy to talk about Eraserhead. But we really don't need you or anybody else spreading misinformation about the existence of a previous DreamWorks Puss in Boots film. It just isn't there. We're sorry to break If you you. think you have seen one, please tweet at us, hashtag I've seen Puss in Boots, and we can work on putting together a support group. Now, Will, do you have any experience with David Lynch? So, I was realizing this. You know, I didn't really start following movies. I said this, I think it was our Turbo episode, until like (laughs) (laughs) 2012-ish. Just the concept of Turbo makes me laugh. Turbo, a great episode. So, I didn't really start following movies until 2012, at which point... David Lynch had already stopped making movies. Right. Rumors that he would have a secret movie at 2022 can notwithstanding. So because I haven't really dug back into any of his movies, the only thing of his that I have seen is his short film from the beginning of, I think, 2020 called What Did Jack Do? Which stars David Lynch talking to a monkey. And the monkey has like human lips, like digitally put on top of it so the monkey is talking back at him that is so interesting that that is your only exposure and so like it feels having now seen a david lynch movie it does sure feel like i watched a david lynch thing like that is a weird short that i enjoyed Mm -hmm. but i haven't seen any of the features and i have not watched twin peaks my exposure is twin peaks i love twin peaks i have watched it twice and i've watched it partially a third time, but I have not seen the movies and I did not finish The Return yet. At some point, I will go back to it, in theory. I'm not a great finisher in terms of a lot of things. I often get distracted, but I have not seen any of his movies before this one. And I watched this and I said, ah, yes, David Lynch, 
It makes sense. Lives up to the hype. It does live up to the hype. This movie is exactly as weird as everyone says. I did not know what was going on for the most part. But that's the fun of it. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of ideas going on in it. Like, ultimately, Eraserhead is a movie about a young man who does not know how to engage with adulthood, I think. Or it's also a movie about the horrors of fatherhood. Right. And being unable to relate to your own child. Right, especially when your child is a baby Kaminoan with no skin. That baby's freaky. That baby cloned Django Fett beyond the Rishi Maze. I was, spoiler alerts for the movie, but I was very sad when the baby died. I felt very bad for the baby, but di- I did clear, not like the baby looking is killed. at it. Or is murdered. The baby is murdered. But also, I don't know how long the baby would have made it. But either way, that baby made me sad. Yeah, I mean, the baby has no skin. So underneath the wrappings are just its organs. Yeah. So it can't, breathe. as you say, it, it did not have a long life ahead of it. It was the kind of thing where, like, I was not happy with Henry for killing it, but I was happy to not have to see it anymore. Yeah. Or hear it crying and breathing. Yeah. Now, for what it's worth, the baby is obviously a puppet. There are clearly several points of articulation with the the turning the head and the mouth and the eyes blink and stuff like that. David Lynch has never clearly answered any questions on, like, who made it or how it was made or anything like that. Whenever someone asks him about the puppet, he's like, oh, it was born nearby, or it was found, or something like that. He always starts from the premise that it is a real little monster. I love him. He's just such a weird dude. A weird man. I I, love that What I really enjoy is anytime someone goes and interviews him today, and they have to go out to, like, his, like, country cabin where he paints and try to get something cryptic out of him that they can write an article about. Every time he's interviewed, it's honestly a surprise more than anything. Right, because it seems like he's just happy doing his thing. And, like, there's an extent to which that's been true from the beginning. Like, he got into making movies because he wanted to make shorts out of the paintings that he was doing. Like, assuming he doesn't make another movie, he starts and ends his career with paintings. Yeah. I'm wondering if he'll make another movie. I kind of think, no, I forget where. There was, like, again, you're not on Twitter, so you miss this kind of stuff. There was this, like, feverish rumor that a secret David Lynch movie was going to premiere at the Cannes Film Festival this year. And it just didn't, which I assumed was what was going to happen when it did not appear on the Cannes schedule. But, like, until the festival ended, there were people who thought that was about to happen. I wonder if there will be some George Lucas thing where when he dies, they'll find a bunch of movies in his uh, cryptic safe. I would certainly believe that. Yeah, and of course, you're referring to the fact that Lucas, who is a David Lynch fan... Very much so. ...has spent the last several years just making experimental short films, like, in the basement of Skywalker Ranch, that will not be released until he dies. And, like, he's said this, right? Yeah. Yeah. Basically, what he says is, like, these are for me. Like, they're not for anybody else. I just want to make these experimental short films. And I did think about Lucas a lot watching this, because... Lucas and Lynch were part of the same, not social circle, but the same, like, movie brat era, 70s LA, like, young scene. Mm-hmm. So at the time that David Lynch is getting into his late 20s and he's studying at the AFI and spending most of the 70s making this movie because it takes six years to get it made, 
that's like that's not six years of long production. That's six years of shooting the thing. At the same time, that's going on. Lucas is going from making THX one one three eight through American Graffiti and ultimately to Star Wars, and THX is Lucas's version of a weird arty film, and it has a more coherent narrative than this, but it's certainly not holding anyone's hand. Yes. I haven't seen that movie yet, or American Graffiti, honestly. Um, Graffiti we should do on this show. THX we could also do, but it would be another weird episode. I just think that George Lucas wants to be weirder than he let himself be. That's kind of a shame. And I mean, sometimes some of the bad Star Wars fans will talk about how, like, George Lucas sold Disney Star Wars with a whole plan for new movies, and they didn't even bother with them. And they, like, use that to criticize, like, Kathleen Kennedy for not following George's plans. I'm like, George Lucas's plan for a sequel trilogy was about midichlorians. Like, his plan was to focus on midichlorians living in the bodies of other beings, basically driving us around like cars, which combines all of George Lucas's favorite things, which is weird stuff and cars. And... It's very funny to me to imagine these, like, dumb nerds saying, like, we should have just followed George's plan than getting a movie about midichlorians. Things that they all hate. Right. And, like, yeah, Lucas was a guy who likes weird stuff and was a victim of his own success. Mm -hmm. And it is kind of fun to imagine, like, the world where Star Wars is weirder. And I think we're all better off in a world where Star Wars is weirder today and if star wars is weirder 40 years ago maybe star wars is less important today which would also probably be net good yeah but i agree lynch comes into this because following a racer head and then his second movie which is the elephant man which you can definitely see coming out of this george lucas tries to hire david lynch to make return of the jedi i would love to see it and like presumably that movie would have taken something of a different shape too because lynch also writes basically all of his movies. So I assume he would want to rewrite the script of Return of the Jedi. But like, imagine David Lynch doing the Ewoks. They'd all be this baby. Well, I guess this baby ended up in the movies anyway as the Kaminoans. Ultimately, Lynch doesn't do that because instead he makes Dune. You should watch Dune. Which is a better fit for him. Yes. Dune is weirder. And it's got like, you know, drug-induced visions and it's got guild navigators and sandworms and all that. Yeah. Maybe we should do David Lynch's Dune. Maybe when Dune 2 comes out, we do Dune 84. Great idea. All right, put it on the schedule. (laughs) I'm really not surprised that this movie took six years to make. Especially having skimmed the production section of the Wikipedia page. In which it ended up being financed by personal loans and was filmed in converted stables where David Lynch lived. And I was just like, of of course he lived in converted stables. To be clear, this is not he bought a stable and converted it. This is the stable was on the grounds of the American Film Institute and was being unused and he converted it for himself to live in. He is such a weird man. I also, it's crazy that Sissy Spacek financed this movie. <laughs> she sure did. A lot of spouses of actors in it played a role in financing it. Yeah. I mean... She went on to be Oscar-nominated and also financed a raise her head. Actually, she won an Oscar, and I respect that so hard about her. Yeah, I mean, it was financed by that, and then, as it says in the credits of the movie, financed by the American Film Institute, where David Lynch was studying and being mentored. Now, 
AFI did not expect it to take six years to shoot this movie because they greenlit the movie's 21-page script. And they were like, yeah, standard is one page equals one minute of screen time. So we're going to greenlight a 21-page script, and it'll be, like, max a 25-minute movie. They thought. Right. But then David Lynch, being David Lynch, including a lot of very surreal elements. The version that we watched on HBO is, like, 89 minutes. But mm-hmm. there are also 20 minutes cut from that because the first version, like, tested even worse, got an even worse reception. And so David Lynch had to cut out stuff. Like, he cut out a scene with the child's midwife. He cut out a scene where Henry plays with a dead cat. You know, all the kinds of things audiences love. Yeah. I can't imagine why the audience didn't react well to those scenes. Why would he play with a dead cat? I, I mean, know. why I mean, is his head a- converted into erasers? There's not a lot of answers here, folks. The man whose head is turned into erasers is supposedly based on a dream that David Lynch once had. Still doesn't provide a lot of answers. It's about like being ground down and blown away and dust. And, you know, there's a certain, I think, like nihilism. It might not be the right word, but fatalism to this movie. But, But not fatalism in just like things are fated, but in a like, I guess nihilism is the right word. Just like you have no control and there's nothing you can do and like, it all just kind of stinks and is meaningless. Like, you know, the fact that Henry's apartment, it just has like piles of dirt everywhere. Like his bedside table, he doesn't have a plant in a pot. He has a pile of dirt and like a stick sticking out of it. Yeah, the piles of dirt are a good visual. Right. And the idea that too, like so often the camera is just like staring at a pile of dirt or something like that. Like there's a sense of almost like focusing on things that don't matter on screen because ultimately nothing matters. Like it doesn't matter what the camera is pointed at. And the the movie so often is lit. Uh, There are these really deep blacks in the movie that I think are really exciting. But they're in contrast to, like, all you get are these little pools of light a lot of the time. Especially during scenes at night. Like, you get these circles of light that characters are standing in. But everything else is just, like, pitch black because there's nothing beyond. Like, this is all there is. And it kind of stinks. And, like, the most fun Henry ever seems to have is when he's, like, wandering around and jumping in the mud. Like, he's... Charlie Chaplin's little tramp. Like, there is a sad tramp energy to this character. It's like, what if the tramp weren't fun? (laughs) The opening is very much just modern times. Right, modern times without jokes. Yeah, like, the trudgery of factory work is killing the human spirit vibes. Yeah. So that's where I think there's, there's something very depressing about this movie. Yeah, it's not an uplifting tale. This is a story of a man who kills his son and then probably dies. He embraces the bright void of the radiator. Mm -hmm. Her song is so creepy. I loved it. Yes. And also as she's dancing on. And stomping on his baby. Yeah, like weird, like tiny versions of his horrible baby. That's what it seems like they are. Add to the fact, like the psychological quality of the fact that Jack Nance, who plays Henry... Because it took them six years to shoot the movie. He had to have that haircut for six years. Oh, that poor man. That haircut is incredible. It, it is something. It is a true eraser head look. It must have been a wig. As near as I can tell, that's his hair. It's gotta have been a wig. Can you imagine the upkeep of that hair? Yeah, it'd be a pain. But like, I feel like, not to that extent, but like, I feel like I have seen other people with hair like that. Like, Neil Casey... Kind of has hair like that. I guess. feel like it would be much easier for continuity's sake if it was a wig. 
Oh, it certainly would, but again, they would have had to go to somebody's wife to get more money to buy a wig. David Lynch was delivering newspapers to have income to finance this movie. My god. This is a wife wife guy productions. Yeah. You brought up the sort of industrial wasteland of this movie. Lynch said a bunch in interviews that that sort of thing was inspired by a five-year period in his childhood where his family lived in like a horrible neighborhood of Philadelphia. And I think it's interesting then that we saw that and called back to the 1930s and the Great Depression. I mean, the black and white and his walking doesn't help. Well, yeah, for sure. The weird walking. Yeah, Henry's such a weird dude because he, he spends the whole movie, we're told, on vacation, which just means not going to work at the factory. But it doesn't seem like he has any hobbies or interests or anything like that. He just kind of wanders around through this industrial wasteland, interacting with nobody. Walking by the factory repeatedly. It's like he doesn't know what to do with himself otherwise. I mean, I thought this was going to be a silent movie for the first, like, 20 minutes of a 90-minute movie. Yeah. And there's very little dialogue. So I will not have much to drop in as audio clips. Yeah. Well, you can put the song. I sure can. But yeah, it's the kind of thing where I think we've already gotten at this. Like, the movie's not clearly about any one thing, but there's a lot of stuff going on. And it's kind of fun to look at the surrealism of it all and just kind of let it wash over you like like blood coming out of a tiny chicken and process what that. you can and just let the rest of it sit there. Yeah, don't expect to process every image or sound the first time you watch it. I have a feeling there will be much more when I watch it again. The sound in particular. This movie has basically constant sound. There's like a dull hum of just industrial noise going on the whole time that it's cut through with all kinds of weird different stuff. Most of the sound work was done by Lynch. It's a very disconcerting movie to watch. It's the sound especially. It's very unsettling for the full 90 minutes with no break. It does move pretty quickly, though. I'll grant it that. Yeah. It's not a long 90 minutes, but it is a tough 90 minutes in many ways. Yeah, but it feels like watching a short in terms of like, it feels like he had a couple of ideas and executed them about as quickly as he could execute those ideas. What a weird movie. Yeah. Like I said, it was produced through the American Film Institute. It took six years to shoot, including some crazy stuff. Like there's a scene where Jack Nance as Henry opens a door. And then the next scene is him walking through the door. And those two things were shot a year apart. Oh my God. So it's all over the place. But they finally got it together in early 1977. And it debuted at the Filmex Festival in Los Angeles to very little attention and tiny audiences, but pretty quickly became a regular midnight movie in big cities in New York, San Francisco, and LA. Like for years, it would just play as a regular midnight movie. And it ultimately made $7 million. So, wow. Can't argue with that on a movie that definitely costs much less. Yes. And also clearly launched a successful career. Yeah. And it was added to the National Film Registry in 2004. So Eraserhead is in the Library of Congress. Good for Eraserhead. And as far as I know, Eraserhead ripoff Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones is not in the Library of Congress. And I don't think it ever will be. Stanley Kubrick was a big fan of this movie. He showed it to the cast of The Shining to help get them in the right headspace. That makes so much sense. Uh, Yeah, this movie is very much in the same wavelength as The Shining in terms of, like, the sense of frustration foreboding sound. The omnipresent but nonspecific doom, frustration with sort of being tied down in adulthood and parenthood. Yeah, frustration with fatherhood, 
not knowing how to take care of your own child. For what it's worth, David Lynch's child, Jennifer Lynch, who is a successful TV director, claims that this is at least based in part on her father's reaction to her own birth because she was born with clubbed feet that required a lot of like surgery and attention. Well, I'm glad he didn't murder her. Yeah, that seems like a good thing. Good for him. I assume, and I will never know, but parenthood seems very complicated, and I think expressing your frustration through art is a better way than expressing your frustration onto your child. Yeah, absolutely. And then you just make sure that the kid doesn't see it until they're old enough to process it all. You should not let any child watch this movie, because they will not be able to (laughs) process it, in general. Like, what would be the most upsetting thing for a child? Is it the tiny chicken that oozes blood? Is it the, like, little stop-motion worms flopping around in the dirt? The baby itself. Is it the baby itself? Especially when it has all the the sores. The baby with the sores, that is upsetting. I hated that. So should we start talking about whatever romance there is in this movie? There's so much romance. Most of this movie is about romance. Yes and no. It's not very romantic. No. Well, that's because <laughs> I guess he I don't does think say he really loves her. believes in romance. Yes. This movie wishes that romance existed, but it but doesn't, doesn't really think, think so. that it does. So, yeah. to guide our conversation on this movie's portrayal of romance, we will be breaking it down into five points to guide the conversation. Will, can you take us to point 1? So, at the beginning of the movie, we have our main character, Henry. He's on vacation, which means he just Walks around and plays in the mud. As you and do. he comes home and he encounters the beautiful girl across the hall. That's not me editorializing. That's the character name. She's the beautiful girl across the hall. And she says, oh, are you Henry? And he's like, yeah, I'm Henry. And she says, well, there was a phone call. And uh, a woman named Mary said that she wanted you to come over to dinner with her and her parents. And so our first point is going to cover this family dinner at the home of Mary X and her parents, Mr. and Mrs. X. And grandmother. Yes, and grandmother who has no lines and it seems to be just this side of dead. Could have been played by a puppet. Could have been played by a corpse. I love Mary. Henry, I asked you if you and Mary had sexual intercourse. Well, I don't don't think that's any of your business. Henry! I'm sorry. You're in very bad trouble if you won't cooperate. So he shows up to dinner. And at first Mary is like, you're "You're late. late. And And he's like, I didn't know that you wanted to see me again because you stopped coming around. Not that it seems like Henry really would have pursued her. No. Henry doesn't do much. Period. But he's still into her, so he, like, goes to the dinner. Then she's annoyed that he shows up late, even though he just found out. And then he goes inside and meets her mother. Uh, everyone in this family is weird, but maybe none more so than the mother, who will frequently... I don't know, because I guess Mary will sometimes, like, just start, like, hooting. Or yeah, up, like, that was weird. Un- unhinges, and she's just vocalizing. And no one reacts to it. At the dinner it. table. Her mom is, like, giving weird moaning sounds and, like, tonguing the air. It's all very unsettling. It felt kind of like I'm thinking of ending things. Just the vibe of being over, meeting somebody's family at dinner, and crazy things are happening, and trying to determine whether you should react to it or not. Yeah. And then you have the nice, overbearing father that talks too much. And while he's talking, the mom pulls Henry away and asks if he and Mary had sexual intercourse. Which they did. 
Yes, he tries to dodge it for a while being like, well, I love Mary, or I don't think it's any of your business. And finally, she's like, well, there's a baby, and you and Mary are going to get married soon, and you're going to take care of this baby. And he's like, it has not been long enough. I think it's been like three weeks since they had sex. Yes, but I think with the strangeness of the baby, who's to say what birth would look like? Oh, I think it is Henry's baby, but I also think he is not being absurd when he's like, how could there possibly be a baby? I agree. At this point, they are going to be getting married, and Henry agrees to it as his nose bleeds profusely and Mary sobs. Love. Point two. So now they're married, and we're going to talk about their, their great married life. Uh, Mary and the baby move into his studio. And the baby, again, just to be really clear about this, has a head that looks like a little alien, like the Caminoans, and then its body is kind of pear-shaped and entirely wrapped in bandages. So it just lies there on a table and cries and occasionally gets spoon-fed some stuff. And then spits it up. Which is gross to watch. If you haven't seen a picture of the baby, please look up a picture of the baby. I found a picture of it, and you know what website the picture came from? What? The Villains Wiki. That's kind of rude. That baby is not a villain. It's evil, but it's not a villain. I don't even know if it's evil. It's just cursed. It's also, like, very wet. I think that's part of what's unsettling about it. Yeah, it's always wet. So, the baby's a huge pain to deal with because it just cries all the time and can't do anything. And, you know, it's it's a baby. It's being a baby. But, ultimately, Mary gets increasingly fed up with it, crying all the time. We know of multiple occasions where Mary gives up on the baby in the middle of the night and leaves and goes back to her parents' house. And eventually is just gone. Yeah, there is the one night where she's, like, hogging the covers and Henry's, like, trying to push her over and he keeps finding, like, more of the, like, weird tendrils that look like the baby in the bed. Ugh, I, I, ugh, this movie's so gross. There's so much grossness in it. So, yeah, she just, like, keeps disappearing. And oftentimes there will be cases where, like, Henry wakes up in the night and just, like, discovers that she's not there. Mm Mm-hmm. And Henry, at this point, is trying. He's trying. He's really, really bad at it. Yes. I don't know how you'd be good at it. I don't know. Maybe pick it up. <laughs> right. Like, that's a thing you could try. But one night, there's a knock on the door. I guess this takes, this is point number three. One night, there's a knock on the door, and the beautiful girl across the hall is there. She says she's been locked out, and she's wondering if she could stay the night. And two things are going on then. Henry notices that Mary is gone. And two, he's trying to stop the baby from crying while she's there. So he's, like, basically smothering the baby. He is a bad dad. Yeah, no good. But he's like, heck yes, beautiful girl across the hall. You can stay the night. And I believe they have sex. I'm pretty sure that's how to interpret the two of them being on the bed as it dissolves into a pool of water. I think so. That's what I assume. Yeah, the two of them are ultimately submerged in this pool of water that overtakes the bed. I would love to see, like... If this movie were made in 2002, like, all the DVD behind-the-scenes features on how they did these special effects. I mean, if it's David Lynch, we wouldn't get them. He won't even admit that the baby is real. But this was was a cursed bed that turned into a swimming pool. Yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) This movie, this man. That's, again, where I'm like, what if David Lynch made Return of the Jedi but had the insistence on reality that he does with Eraserhead? And he was like, we didn't make the Ewoks. Warwick Davis doesn't exist. Those are real. We went to Endor. I would love that insistence. No, these are animals we found in the jungle that we have trained to be Ewoks. 
I slept in a tauntaun during production. <laughs> I don't know if he's as weird about anything else as he is about the baby. I don't think he is. Um, oh my god, the baby. They have sex. She goes home. Point number four. Another night, Henry is home alone with the baby, and he hears the beautiful girl across the hall, out in the hall, and he's, like, going to look, and he sees that she is there with a guy who, I don't know, I thought he looked kind of sleazy. Yeah, he looked sleazy. You get one shot of his face for five seconds. And Henry is clearly upset to see this, and the beautiful girl across the hall is just, like, not interested. Yeah. Henry's feelings about this. I mean, she doesn't love Henry. No. And he's all ready to leer. Like, if he's not going to have the door open, he's at least going to, like, look through the keyhole. But then she takes the man inside and closes the door. So Henry is here without Mary, and he is also not going to be with the beautiful girl across the hall. He will find no love as long as this baby lives. And then the baby doesn't live anymore. Because <laughs> he goes home, cuts yes. open the swaddling clothes, realizes the baby has no skin, and the cloth was the only thing holding it together. Yeah, the baby doesn't just have no skin, it has no bones either. Yeah, it's just a thing of organs. Cuts it open, bunch of organs fall out, miscellaneous organs, not really looking he stabs like anything. One. And then he stabs them. And the baby explodes into gunk and liquid. Right. And Henry finishes the movie with someone he spent some time with earlier. Point number five, the woman in the radiator. Who is a tiny lady who lives in the radiator. She has... Big prosthetic. They look like like paper mache smiling cheeks. They're weird. I didn't like them. They're unsettling. Yeah. It feels like she is a figment of his imagination. Like when he is lying at home in his apartment, he stares at the radiator and imagines there's a little woman like putting on stage shows down there. Yeah. Like even before we see the woman in the radiator, he has stared at the radiator like twice. Right. So it feels like this is just like a mind game he plays with himself. Mm hmm. And at the end of the movie, after killing his son, I guess like, we don't know the gender of the baby, killing his child, he is embraced by the woman in the radiator and then consumed with white light before we shift back to the industrial factory setting of a man pulling giant levers as sparks fly and the world spins onward. So, Will, <laughs> do you find the romance of Eraserhead believable? Largely, yes. Largely, I don't know what yes. to do with the woman in the radiator, but the rest of it is, dude has sex with a lady. She gets pregnant. Her parents, parents put pressure them on him to, to get marry married. her. They move in together. It doesn't go super well. She runs back to her parents frequently. He has sex with a lady across the hall. Lady across the hall doesn't want to keep having sex with him. I, I can't give it a 10 because the woman in the radiator, but I can give a razor head a 9 out of 10 for believability. I am on board 100%. Great. And, like, let's be clear, let's be fair to Jed. That's pretty, like, a movie that's a 9 out of 10, that's really good. Especially when he brought us the old Puss in Boots movie, which is a 0 out of 10 because it doesn't exist. Right. So this is a big increase. Um, do you think Henry, Mary X, the beautiful girl across the hall, or the woman in the radiator are dateable? Basically, I think one of them. So that's also going to be who I would date, I guess. I think the woman across, the beautiful woman across the hall is our answer. The others all know. Uh, Mary is weird. Like, the weird noises she makes, not a fan. It seems like she is shedding tiny Kaminoan babies in the bed, which I don't like. Uh, Henry, bad dude, boring dude, no. Woman in the radiator, scary. Scary, stepped on a bunch of babies. She does nothing wrong. Yeah. She took a message and passed it on, 
and she decided she did not want to keep having sex with Henry, which I can relate to. Yeah. It's a one-night stand. What was she going to do? Like, break up with him? Right. Um, do you think that Mary and Henry are going to make it? Are they going <laughs> to no. make this marriage work? I think he died. I think that's what the white I also noise represents. Yeah, he has been totally destroyed by this situation and does not exist anymore. So we both said if we had to pick one person, it would be the beautiful girl across the hall. Yes. So, Mark, there's only one question left. Should there be an Eraserhead musical? No. I don't think you could get gross enough on stage with the baby. I'm inclined to say no in part because the movie only works because it's so unsettling. Like, this story told in a way that's less gross and less disorienting isn't that interesting a story. (laughs) It's just like, wow, these people have a baby and it messes up their lives and their relationship doesn't last. Right. Like, what makes this an interesting thing to dig into is the parts of it that are film. It's editing and it's cinematography and sound and all of that. And the weird baby they found. And the weird baby that they found somewhere. So, no Eraserhead musical. This feels like one where you will not surprise me within Eraserhead musical because I don't think anyone has done it. There is a band called Eraserheads, but as far as I know, they have not made a musical either. Yeah. All right. I think we did it. Genuinely, thanks to Jed. I'm glad we saw this. Yeah, I'm very glad we watched this. I'm glad I have now finally seen a David Lynch movie and I plan to watch more. Yeah, there's a 4K restoration of Inland Empire that's been making its way around the country that might be worth checking out. My cousin went to see it and they were filming a Real Housewives episode at the theater. Ah, I wish I was there. I also want to watch Blue Velvet because it has Isabella Rossellini in it. All right, well, until uh, you do that, next week, we'll be celebrating our 250th episode by returning Good to the world of DreamWorks Lord. Animation. Good Lord. To talk about the holiday avatar team-up, Rise of the Guardians. Now, this movie, I enjoyed when I watched it, so we'll see. I don't think this is going to be a turbo situation in terms of quality. I have not seen it, but I've heard good things about it, so I'm actually intrigued. Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love Love Pod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions, just like our good friend slash frenemy Jed at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe, especially on Apple Podcasts, to help other people find the show. All right, Will, what is the best piece of dating advice we got from Eraserhead? When you're going to meet your significant other's parents, do it at like a restaurant, because you want to reduce the number of unknowns. Like, you're going to have people you don't really know, so you want food that you do. You don't want to have to deal with, like, I got to be polite to these total strangers and figure out how to carve their tiny chickens that are full of blood. My advice is, while she did nothing wrong, one night stands with your neighbors might not be the best idea. That is good and valuable advice. So, until next time, I'm a ginger. And I'm gay, so between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye! Bye! Bye.